Welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast, where we share knowledge, philosophies, wisdom, and insight to help you on your journey in both sport and life. Introducing your host, Rob Riles. Hello and welcome to the Leader Manager Coach Podcast. Welcome along. It's Rob Riles welcoming you to another edition. Now, this afternoon in the UK, I'm uh, really excited to bring you somebody that I've come across and we've never actually met before, but I am completely inspired by what I've read and what I've seen about this gentleman. He's kindly given up his time, and I think it's early morning where he lives in uh, in the States. And um, he, he's somebody that has provided immense value in his life. I can already see that. Um, I know he's a, he's a former teacher. Uh, I know he inspires people because of uh, particularly a love for reading. He's got lots to share, I'm sure. And, you know, if you're into leadership, if you're into self-improvement and you're into finding out how to get through the journey of life in, in a better way, then I'm, I'm absolutely certain that um, this gentleman who I'm going to induce in a minute, Danny Brassell, has got lots to share. So, Danny, thank you ever so much for giving up your time and welcome to Leader Manager Coach. Thanks so much for having me, Rob. Thanks for all that you do. You and I share a passion for leadership, sports and reading. So I'm excited about today. OK, so for anybody who hasn't come across you and your work, what I think would be a great start is for you just to Give us a, you know, a couple of minutes on what it is you do, uh, what your passions are. And then we've got like a little place to start so we can, um, I'm going to be selfish and say we'll extract as much value from you as we can in the next few minutes. Well, great, Rob. Well, it's it's ironic. I'm considered America's leading reading ambassador, which is ironic because I grew up hating reading. My father was a, a public uh, librarian, and I always hated the library growing up. The, the furniture was always uncomfortable. It always smelled funny to me. There was always some elderly woman telling me to be quiet. And there's always some homeless guy who thinks he's a vampire hanging out in the library. I always hated it. And it wasn't until many years later when I started teaching in the inner city in South Central Los Angeles, where I saw that a lot of my students didn't have the advantages I had growing up. And I said, shame on me, Rob, because I was very blessed. I had both of my parents in the home. Uh, we weren't wealthy by any means, but we never uh, uh, didn't have dinner on the table. We always had food on the table. My parents read in front of us kids. They read to us and we always had plenty of access to reading materials. And um, so it really kind of uh, jump started me to really get kids to love reading. I mean, I think schools all around the world, they do an adequate job of teaching kids how to read. But the question I always ask people is what good is it teaching a kid how to read if they never want to read? I teach kids why to read because I've never had to tell a kid go watch TV. I've never had to tell a kid go play a video game. And I never want to have to tell a kid go read. I want them to do it because they enjoy it. And so that's where I, I come in as I'm really good uh, working with teachers and parents. I'm giving them all kinds of kinds of ideas on how to get kids to read more, read better, and most importantly to me, love reading. So that's in a nutshell what my, my mission is right now. And I'm going all over the world to spread that mission. Brilliant. I mean, it's just music to my ears and, and I, I'm absolutely loving it. Just this concept of reading because 
without it, Danny, and I don't know how many people are in the same mindset, but I have no idea, absolutely no idea, Danny, where my life would be without what I've had from books. Uh, I just can't imagine it. It's, it's, it's almost embarrassingly shameful to think, but you know, as you say, there's people who can't read, who don't have access. So it's not something to be beating people up about. It's like a gift. And just to dive in a little bit more for you, do you remember what it was that flicked the switch specifically for you? Or was it a slow burn thing? Yeah, so I was blessed um, in seventh grade. Uh, my seventh grade reading teacher was Will Hobbs, who now Will is one of the best selling young adult authors around the world. He writes books that are especially popular with teenage boys, outdoor adventure books. And Will was my seventh grade reading teacher, and he was wow. the first person to get me excited about reading. He had 5,000 books in his classroom, and every day at the beginning of class, he would tell us what he was reading, we would tell him what we were reading, and the rest of the 50-minute period, Rob, we read. Whenever we finished a book, we'd take it up to Mr. Hobbs, he'd put down the book he was reading, check out our book, ask us about three or four questions. And if he was satisfied with our answers, he gave us a point. Every book up to 200 pages is worth one point. Every extra 100 pages is worth another point. You needed 25 points to get an A and the top five point totals had their names written on the board. And I wanted my name written on that board. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Jules Verne, 500 page book, four point book, Rob. Also, an excellent Disney film starring James Mason and Kirk Douglas. And I, I didn't really feel like reading a 500-page book, so I took the book up to Mr. Hobbs. And uh, I learned a very valuable lesson that day after he asked me four questions, Rob. Books ain't always like the movies. And guess what Mr. Hobbs did? He gave me the four points. And that's when I learned... A great teaching strategy. Guilt works because I read every word of every page of every book from that point forward, wound up with 44 points, went well above and beyond what uh, I had to do. He used the single greatest strategy I've ever seen a person use to get a kid excited about reading. He found out what I was interested in, which was American football. And so at least once a week, He'd give me a, a, an American football book. He's like, hey, Danny, check out this book on John Elway. I know you'll like it. I mean, what are the odds I open up that book? And my experience with all age levels, 100%. The kid might not read it, but they're definitely going to open it up. And also in my experience, by the fourth time I do that with a kid, they're going to try and read that book because there's nothing more powerful than somebody significant in your life, a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a parent, a, a buddy saying, you know what? I was thinking of you when I was reading this. Actually, uh, when when you and I uh, met via via uh, email, uh, you got me thinking, wow, I, I know Rob's a sports fanatic and I need to do a lot more research into uh, into football. And so because of you, I actually just bought a uh, leadership book by Sir Alex Ferguson because <laughs> I wanted to like I reached behind me <laughs> oh do you have it well I've just, it might be this it might not be but I don't know if it is that one but that's another one of his like what hey, yeah, um, small world huh? yeah I, I'm excited about that so I mean because I love when I was in China 
I realized it was kind of pathetic. I'm so into sports and there was nothing on in China. I would actually watch ping pong tournaments because I was so excited to watch. I watch ping pong and synchronized swimming because I'm like, oh, I'm a sports fanatic. <laughs> kind of pathetic. No, no, it's beautiful to hear. It's great <laughs> to hear and relate to somebody who is a sports nut because there's such such a difference between the characteristics archetypical sports nut because none of them are portrayed to read mm -hmm. um and i don't mean that that they don't but th there's this there's this you know if you say if i went out to my kids who play who play the game that mac and said how many of you are readers uh the embarrassment had come in to start with so one or two wouldn't put their hands up maybe one out of the 16 would say I, I i read and the rest would say oh, i've never bothered unless somebody beats me with a stick mm -hmm. um can i just ask you you know your teacher this mr hobbs who's this who is the author is that what was the lesson um the title of the lesson was it an english lesson or was it a, a reading lesson what was the title of the lesson yeah it was just a reading class and he wow. he he did something nobody else had ever done i mean I think that's the problem in school, Rob, is they force you to read certain things. Yeah, so, yeah. for example, when I was in secondary school, uh, they forced me to read The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. And no offense to people that love The Scarlet Letter. The, the book is about Hester Prynne commits adultery and she has to wear an A on her chest. And I, I raised my hand and asked my teacher if I could wear a B on my chest because I was so bored reading that book. <laughs> and it, I, I, I can't emphasize uh, this enough to the audience, folks. The research uh, is very clear on this. It doesn't matter what you read. What matters is how much you read. It doesn't matter if you're reading James Joyce or James and the Giant Peach. People who read more read better. I mean, this is one of the things that attracted me to you. Uh, Rob, because it's really important for people to understand. I had a when I taught second grade, seven year olds, I had a little boy, Kiara, and Kiara's first grade teacher told me, Kiara doesn't know anything. I'm like, thank you for that. Well, Kiara, who doesn't know anything, comes into my classroom one day and he's like, hey, Mr. Bissell, you see Barkley last night? He had 18 points and 16 boards. I'm like, thank you, Kiara, because from that point on, Every day after lunch, I'd sit him on my lap. We'd read the LA Times sports page together. And would you know it, Rob, by the end of the year, Kiara was one of my best readers. Beautiful. And all that kid ever read about was sports. Beautiful. And I can't tell you how many boys that I work with, well, there's no way I'm gonna get this kid to read Charles Dickens or William Shakespeare. But if I give him an, an, an art, a newspaper article on Wayne Rooney, the kid will devour it in like three seconds. I mean. Again, I tell people like the little boy who only reads Captain Underpants and books about diarrhea is going to be a better reader than the little boy who refuses to read anything. I mean, Captain Underpants and books about diarrhea are the gateway drug to get the kid reading Shakespeare eventually one day. But you got to get the kid interested. And it just bothers me. Um, and you know this when I'm reading about successful leaders of industry and everything, they all were avid readers at some point. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'll do corporate trainings and I always have all these business executives in suits and I always ask them, well, what was your favorite book growing up? I mean, at least 70% of the audience is like Spider-Man, 
Fantastic Four. All they had read were comic books. I'm like, well, that counts. There's nothing. You don't start off by reading John Maxwell leadership books when you're in elementary school. You start off by reading comic books. You got to get the kid interested. And I just think we we don't do a good enough job of figuring out, hey, and that's what Mr. Hobbs did. He figured out, oh, you're into sports. I'll, I'll get you sports books. And it doesn't even have to just be books. That's the other thing that drives me nuts is when people think about reading, they think of Dostoevsky, War and Peace. And I'm like, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, I like reading short books. Uh, I like books that make me laugh. Uh, Douglas Adams, when I read uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it was the first book I had to put down because I was laughing so hard on every single yeah. page. You know, so that's what I'm always trying to do. And, and I love it when I'm working with adults that say, I don't read. I'm like, oh, you don't read yet. I'll get you excited about reading. <laughs> no, honestly, it's so lovely to hear somebody who can articulate all the intricacies of why. Um, and what you've just saying takes me back to my childhood. I used to have a football magazine every Saturday bought for me by my grandmother called Shoot. And I read it. I read every full stop. I read absolutely. I would sit there until I'd finished it. And every... Every time I had a report from school, they'd, they'd write to my parents and say, your son turns every written piece of work into something about football. And it's, <laughs> it's just, you're saying, Danny, what is true for people. And um, it, it's wonderful to hear. And I love the why, you, you know, everybody says, well, you need to learn how to read. And you, you know, you said at the start of this, you don't learn need to learn how you need to learn why first. And all I ever say when I'm coaching my players is why. So they get the reason for them to become better. And then they'll ask you for the how or they'll find it themselves. And you've, you've, you, you know, it, it's wonderful. Um, okay. When you're exposing them to enjoyment too, Rob, I guarantee you none of the none of the players you've ever coached would find a joy in football if they started off with basic drills, which is what school does for reading. Like, no, you got to show them that passion, that joy, and then you can show them skill sets. But uh, I, I think we go about it the wrong way. Most, yeah, we do in most situations. No, no, I, I completely, I completely agree. Um, Okay, this is might be a hard question for you, but maybe it's a dead easy one. So out of all the books you've read, have you got a number one? Oh goodness, that is a difficult question. <laughs> so one of my websites, all your all your listeners can it's a it's a free subscription. I have one of the top book clubs in the world. It's called lazyreaders.com. It's a free subscription. Right. Once a month, I, I update it with 10 book recommendations, three or four adult level three or four young adult level and three or four children's level books all under 250 pages. So you have something you can read when you're stuck in a boring meeting. Um, you and I share a passion because I love, I absolutely love sports books. I love biographies. Actually, uh, I just, I just finished this trilogy by William Manchester on Winston Churchill. And it was just so fascinating. I, I got to tell you, after reading that trilogy, I think Churchill I mean, the guy has plenty of faults, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll recognize that. But I, I think he's probably the most important person to have lived in the 20th century, because I completely wow. believe if it wasn't for Churchill, everybody would be a Nazi. This guy saw something that nobody else saw in Hitler, and he just fought him to the end. And just, I mean, you know, because I used to have people like Gandhi and Nelson Mandela and Martin Luther King. And I, I mean, I still think they're some of the most incredible people, but I, I or Einstein. But 
I, I read this trilogy and it just had so many great anecdotes. And again, he's flawed. I always tell people he's a human being. Human beings are flawed people. So, you know, you're not going to agree 100 percent with a person, but it's he's just a fascinating person. So, I mean, I love I love uh, biography. I mean, I'll tell you one that really changed my life, Rob, was uh, so I read the the rise of Theodore Roosevelt by Edmund Morris, which I got to confess, before I read this book, I only knew two things about Teddy Roosevelt. I knew that teddy bears were named after him. And for some reason, his his face is on Mount Rushmore. Well, man, you read this book. Uh, it's actually part of a trilogy. It takes you to the moment Teddy Roosevelt becomes president. The second book is called Theodore Rex. And then the third, which takes you through his presidency. And then the third book is called Colonel Roosevelt, which takes you through after his presidency. And uh, so this is taking you through his childhood. And it was fascinating because they talk about that when he was a kid, Teddy Roosevelt was sick all the time. So he spent all this time reading. Yeah. He could read. In six languages, he was a speed reader and he had a photographic memory. They say you could give him an 800 page book in Latin at dinner and he would quote pages to you at the breakfast table. They asked him, by the time he was 30 years old, Teddy Roosevelt had read over 20,000 books. So I, I look at my, my little kindergartners, I'm like, so what's what do you say, kids? I'm like, wow. I'm like, so so we're gonna read uh, we're gonna we're gonna read lots of kids books. You know, I, I always tell people I read ten books a day now. I mean, many of them are scratch and snip and pop up, but I do read ten books <laughs> a day. And I, I, it's a serious bit. I, I do this with guys all the time. I'm like, hey, you want to look smart going to a party? Stop by the bookstore, and I always go to the children's section, and I'll look for biographies of, of famous people today, you know, like Sir Richard Branson or Elon Musk or something. I'll read a quick 32-page picture book about them, and then I sound like the smartest person at the party because I have all these facts about this. I, I just read a children's picture book on them. And then a lot of those times when I read those books, then I'm like, oh, this is an interesting person. So I'll re- I mean, I, I, Elon Musk is a perfect example. So I read a children's picture book on him. So then I was interested in him and I read a, a biography, an adult biography by uh, Ashley Vance. And uh, there's a couple of anecdotes in there. That are just, and I live for anecdotes. That's why I love sports. Like, give me a sports anecdote or whatever. I mean, I was just reading about Wayne Rooney. He's fascinating about uh, how he wasn't. He was a great soccer player as a teenager, but he wasn't prepared for the other side of playing football, which is, you know, dealing with the press and, you know, being a public figure. Uh, Elon Musk, he's he's at a Mexican restaurant with his biographer and he's dating a new woman. And he asked the reporter, he's like, I'm thinking about allocating eight and a half hours a week to her. Is that enough time? Wow. Look at the way his mind works. That cracks me up. And then the other story I loved was when he was at SpaceX, he would always ask his engineers all these questions and his engineers were getting annoyed. They're like, hey, you already interviewed me. What's he doing? I mean, does he not think I'm qualified to do my job? But then the engineers started talking to one another. They're like, wait a second. His questions are getting more sophisticated. He's listening to our answers. He's learning and he's actually learning it better than we understand. Mm. I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. I love getting into people's mindsets. You know, that's the same, same thing with sports. I'm like, well, why is it that Michael Jordan wants to take the last shot and Scottie Pitt- Pippen wants to sit on the bench? I mean, what's the difference between, you know, why is it some guys 
they they're at their best when their team is down, then I, I, I just love that. I, I'm trying to figure out what is, and why is it that this person's a good leader? What is it that sets this person? I mean, I've, I've been reading a lot about Joe Montana and American football and in the tensest moments, this guy becomes cooler and cooler and nothing phases him. And I'm like, wow, how is that? I, it's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, Danny, do you have um, a habit in terms of, right, every day I spend X amount of time or between this hour and this hour reading, or do you just fit things in because you just do? Um, how does that work for you in terms of a habit? That's a great question, Rob. So the the key to, you know, because those are my programs is I'm always showing people habit formation. And so a tip to everybody out there is if you want to form a new habit, the easiest way is to attach it to an old habit. And so like, for example, if you're used to brushing your teeth every when you wake up and when you go to bed, well, there's great time to attach reading to that. So I always like to start off and end off my day with reading something inspirational. That's why um, President Ford had a great quote when he was president. He told the press he always read the sports page first thing in the morning and the press couldn't believe it. They're like, you're the leader of the free world. How do you read the sports page before the front page? And he said, well, the sports page celebrates man's accomplishments. The front page just shows all of his failures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, wow, there's a lot of truth to that. And I, mm-hmm. so I stopped at, once the pandemic happened. I'm like, you know what? I'm tired of the news. It's always negative. Uh, I'll watch. You know, I, that's why, you know, the Olympics going on, I get excited about the Olympics because it's sports I'm not used to and it's all kinds of people I'm not used to. And I just love hearing people's background stories. Um, you know, I, when I read uh, the story of the British cycling team and the coach yeah. that really just, you know, I don't think Britain had ever won the Tour de France. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gets this new uh, philosophy and now they're like dominant. They win every, and then at the Olympics, they won everything too. It's like, wow, all it took was one guy thinking in a totally different way. And it's one of the things I know you're interested in this with sports. I'm like, why is it Korean women are the best golfers in the world? I mean, that's like their sport. Why is it like Iranian wrestlers are the best wrestlers in the world? And why are Russian women so good at tennis? You know, uh, why is it, why yeah. do American men do well at basketball compared to other? I mean, I'm always trying to figure out, well, what is it? You know, England's always a perfect example to me. I'm always like, man, it's such a small country. How did they dominate the entire planet for so long? You know, what was it? And why is it that the English Premier League, again, you, you don't have a huge talent pool compared to there's countries with many more people population wise. Why is it they're so good? Well, because there's an emphasis from a very early age. They, they do, you know, why is Canadian hockey such a big thing? You know, well, they get them from a very early age. There's a different approach to it. And I always want to look at those right. approaches. I mean, and the Olympics is great because my wife, it drives her nuts because I usually root against America. And she's like, well, why are you rooting against America? And I'm like, honey, who am I going to root for? The, the American with the microchip in his Nikes or the barefoot Sudanese refugee who just survived a civil war. Of course, you know, and they do the backstories. Like I learned how to run, running away from the bullets in my homeland. I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's incredible. I, I want to get into that mindset. What is it? Why is this person better? Why did they never give up? What, what set, separated them? I'm sorry, I go on. You ask short questions. I get excited and give long answers. Oh, this is Danny, it's perfect for a podcast interview when you have a, an, an, 
somebody who's so enthusiastic it, because it makes my job really easy and you just give everything. Uh, it's listen, it's perfect. Please carry on. Um, so I am interested in uh, your, your time as a uh, working in inner city LA, if that's what you did, it sounds like you did. I mean, from here, you know, we hear about LA as a, you know, having, the best, the, the greatest of everything and actually the, the most challenging of everything, like, like a lot of places. Um, that must have been um, a very meaningful part of your life if you were working with, you know, with kids who were challenged in terms of their home environment and things like that, yes? Yeah, yeah. No, and life is about perspective, Rob. I mean, um, one of the things, um, you know, and I'm atypical of most Americans, uh, I had a goal, I was going to go visit at least 50 countries by the time I was 30. And I figured, well, once I get married, my wife will probably want to go to nice places. So I better focus on third world countries uh, <laughs> while I'm doing this. And I was in uh, Bolivia at a, you know, I met two British guys in Bolivia. And of course they find the one British pub in, in La Paz. So we're in this pub and uh, we're sharing anecdotes about everywhere we've been. And they, they were killing me. They'd been to, they'd been to Afghanistan. They'd been to Serbia. They'd been to Cambodia. We were in Bolivia, which at that point was probably one of the poorest countries in South America. And so I, I said, well, in all of your travels, What's the most dangerous situation you've ever felt yourselves in? Rob, they didn't even hesitate. They're like, well, one time we took a public bus in Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, you've been in like war-torn regions and my hometown, LA, was the scary. And I was like, wow, but the perspective is, you know, America is like everybody's John Wayne, everybody's carrying a gun. And, and I, I was like, oh, that's really interesting with that perspective. And it was the same thing in the inner city, like listening to the kids and just seeing how their point of view of the world was totally different. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget this one, Rob. I was asking the kids what they wanted to do when they graduated high school. And one of my little boys, six-year-olds, he says, well, if I turn 18, and I honestly can't remember what he said afterwards because he said, if I turn 18 and it was just, and there was a hopelessness and I, I realized, Rob, I was so blessed. I mean, my wife is from Singapore and she grew up in such a negative environment. People telling her what she couldn't do her entire life. Whereas I have a, a photograph of me when I was four years old, wearing space boots, a San Diego Charger football jersey, a sheriff's badge and a fireman's helmet because I was going to be the first ever astronaut, professional football player, police officer and firefighter. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's the world I grew up in. And I hope every kid has that kind of opportunity. I mean, this is what gets me excited right now. Everybody freaks out about technology. And you and I were, were joking earlier about how little we know about technology. But I, I get people contemplating this. I'm like, right now, there's some barefoot kid on a dirt floor somewhere in the world. Maybe he hasn't even had breakfast. But if that kid has a computer and an internet connection... He has the same access as the head of Google. I mean, the world just got a whole lot smaller. You don't have to be born in New York or London anymore to have a totally transformative 
experience on this planet. And I get excited about, uh, you know, before the pandemic, I got to do, um, I'm, a, I'm a visiting distinguished professor at the American University in Cairo. And so I was, I was speaking all kinds of schools in, uh, in Egypt, you know, and that's how I would get the boys interested is I'm like, oh, have you ever read this book about Salah, the, the football player? And all of a sudden the boys perked up. Oh, I'll read that. I mean, their teachers are like, oh, he won't read anything. I'm like, well, it took me three minutes and this kid's already reading this. Um, when I was in India, which I just love India, I was speaking to this uh, all girls school, 5000 girls. And these two girls came up to me after the presentation. Um, one wanted to be a doctor. The other one wanted to be a lawyer. I'm like, that's great. Are you going to go to university here in India? Or maybe you'll go to uh, the UK or maybe uh, the United States. And they looked at me like, oh, we're girls. We can't leave India. It's like, get back in that auditorium. Got them all back in there. I'm like, now is your moment, ladies. I mean, uh, within five years, India is going to be the largest country on the planet in terms of population. I'm like, you're a very young democracy, just over 70 years old, yet you've already elected a woman prime minister. America still hasn't elected a woman president. I mean, right now, there are twice as many women in India as there are people in the United States. I said, hey, did you know there are more Indian women with a graduate degree? Then there are people in the United States. Wow. I'm like, you just made it my mission in life. The next, the next world leader, the next uh, company yeah. CEO, and the next really good parent is coming out of this audience. I always have told that to my students. Sometimes you need somebody else to believe in you before you believe in yourself. I believe in all of you because they only give me the best and the brightest. Get those kids in a believer's mindset. I mean, that's all it takes. I mean, you and I know this in, in sports. Isn't it amazing how all it takes is the right coach where a poor team all of a sudden becomes a dominant team because they got them a winner's mindset. I mean, I, in, in America, in um, American football, when Bill Belichick took over the New England Patriots, that team stunk. They were nothing. You know, and within 20 years, he takes them to nine Super Bowls. It's un unbelievable to me how all it takes is somebody who has that belief. And we see this in world leaders. We see it in company CEOs. It's like people with vision and then they make their plan. And that's why I love reading about those types of people. What, what was their, what was their vision? What was their plan? And how did they take action and, and execute that plan? It's wonderful. Absolutely. And on that, Danny, um, I was fortunate enough before the pandemic to coach in Bangladesh and wow, you know, you, you've hit the nail on the head. There's a, and people say, wow, it must've been amazing. The football and all this kind of stuff. And the thing that was beautiful about it and continues to be beautiful is, is the fact that of the relationships that, that you, you build and there's 180 million people in, in, in Bangladesh and almost I think talk about a bottom heavy population. It's like a very young population. Talk about hungry for anything. And yeah. here in the UK, if I do a coaching session, there'll be 16 players. Um, some of them will have iPhones. Some will, some will be late because the parents have dropped them off. I used to do a coaching session over there and you'd get hundreds of kids turn up because they heard there was this coach coming. And some of them were like young men with beards and probably grandchildren, are you with me, who purported to be under 16 because they wanted to, to be coached. And it didn't matter what you said, what you did, what session you put on. They devoured, Danny, every single breath that came out of your mouth, every cone you put down on the pitch, 
and and they would stay and, and listen and you could never get rid of them they never wanted to go home they never wanted to finish they never wanted a day off and it's you've hit the nail on the head i think it's that hunger and in in the blessed first world uh, society like you know we we've kind of come from it, it's it's devastatingly humbling to and it can make you very angry at times because i you know i look around and sometimes i get frustrated because i see people taking things for granted and and it's only because i've been lucky enough to kind of see a little bit that probably they haven't had the opportunity to see you know um i totally get what you're saying and um you know blimey um the world needs people to spread to spread the kind of inspiration that 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 you're doing you know um well, and did you find that, Rob? I mean, when you're when you're coaching, your I mean, I've coached lots of teams, and I always say, uh, give me guys with heart, not talent, because heart will beat talent in the end. Give them work ethic, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. And it sounds like the UK is very similar to the US, where you get these kids on their devices and their heads always down on their uh, screen. Whereas when you go to to India, Bangladesh, a lot of these developing countries, there's no screens. They're just sitting there focused on everything that you're saying. And you can just see that. I, I, I love what you're saying about that hunger. You see that hunger. And I'm like, I keep on telling people, I'm like, man, you better watch, you better watch your rear view mirror. I mean, a lot of people are behind, they have that hunger and they're, they're working at it. They're going to pass this very soon. Danny. And, and, um, I was fortunate enough to go to an Asian football conference. And honestly, I'm, I'm telling you, you already know this, but Asia is coming. Asia is going to, it's unstoppable because there's too many people. They're Mm -hmm. too hungry. And they, it's, it's just a tidal wave that is not going to be going to be stopped and the complacency. And if you look back at history, you know, it's like the Roman Empire, isn't it? It became so strong that ultimately the seeds of its own destruction are in that cycle. Um, and it's an, it's almost a natural cycle that, that you know, um, but Asia is coming. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. I get excited about it. I think you're absolutely yeah, right. That's great that you've had that experience too. I mean, I really wish... It was funny when I went to New Zealand, uh, I told the Border Patrol guard, I'm like, uh, what's happening? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like... I thought Kiwis were just backpacking around the world. I didn't know any of them actually lived in New Zealand. Uh, but I, I love that. I, I always tell people, I'm like, when you travel abroad, that you learn two valuable lessons. First of all, you learn perspectives from the rest of the world. But secondly, it's exactly what you were saying, Rob. You start to appreciate the things that we take for granted all the time. And you saw that in Bangladesh where, I mean, you, you meet these people that are dirt poor and they give you the shirt off of their back. They're so hospitable. And it, it's I, you, you hit the nail on the head. The, the word I, I kept on feeling when I was in that part of the world was humility and uh also, I guess, responsibility. I, I'm like, I need to be better and uh, do a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. So just to kind of take this on a little bit, and um, the podcast has two kinds of strands, Danny. One is for actual people who coach, mm-hmm. and the other is for, for players. So if there's a young coach out there who wants to develop, um, what would you say to them if it's not repeating what you've already said? Have you got anything that you'd say to them 
for themselves, you know, uh, to develop themselves in terms of reading, whether that be just the habit formation or, you know, I mean, you might have already said it and at the, at the expense of asking you to say what you've already said, um, I'm asking you the question, you know, for a coach. Yeah. I, and that's a great question, Rob. I, I always look at coaches and, um, you know, uh, to me, the secret to being a good coach is to figure out, figure out the strengths of your different players, figure out the hand that you've been dealt and turn it into a winning hand. A lot of people try and just, you know, anybody can just fire everybody and then start off with like the best players in the world. But you and I know that that doesn't always work. A good coach figures out, uh, I mean, Phil Jackson, American basketball. The reason he's the most successful basketball coach in history was because he made his 12th player feel just as important as Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant. He figured out, everybody's strengths. And so everybody had a role, you know, if you're looking at football, soccer is us Americans call it. I mean, you know, the wings have different midfielders have different roles. I mean, than your goalie, I mean, every player, but no one player is more important than the team. They, I, I, the way I say it to my, my kids, I always ask, well, what's more important, your arms or your legs? My students will be stumped. I'm like, here's the answer. They're both important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. We, we should always value the roles that everybody plays. I mean, you get a good defender. You know, these aren't the people that you hear their names all the time because you always focus on the people scoring. But it's sometimes, um, oh, what was the book I just read? Uh, I just read a book about champions. Uh, oh, Captain's Class. That's a good. Oh, like my that. days. You know what? About 10 minutes ago, I thought I'm going to mention that, but I thought I won't interrupt you. Oh, what a book. Isn't what that amazing? Book. It's cool, too. And for your listeners would like it because his his research is about teams, just every team around the world. Because when they were saying that, I was happy he had mentioned it because I'm like, wow, if I was going to. It's Dan Walton, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I well, because I was saying. I was thinking to myself, if I was going to talk to a new coach, who should you follow? And, and the first thing I thought about in any sport was, wait a sec, the All Blacks in New Zealand, they've been dominant forever. Like I would study them. What is it that makes them so dominant? Uh, you know, because a lot of us, we think of certain sports, but I'm like, oh, no, no, the, the All Blacks, they never lose and they always win by like 30 points. You're like, how, how is that? And how do you sustain that kind of dominance for, for long periods Have of time? Have you read Legacy, Danny? Yeah. Yeah. That, that book is incredible. I, I was, it was fascinating looking at his criteria and then figuring out, you know, the only team I didn't like that he was talking about was uh, that he talked about the Cuban volleyball team's dominance. And what I didn't like about them as an example is they won at yeah. all costs. They cheated. Yeah, they did. And I didn't like that. I'm like, and I tell that to players. I'm like, no, we're never going to cheat. I'm not going to bend the rules. I mean, like, and he gives the example, but the, he gives examples. Everybody kind of bends the rules, you know, like the all blacks, they intimidate their teams with the, the Hawkeye dance before they, but I'm like, that's not cheating though. There's a difference between that and uh, what the, the Cuban women's volleyball team did. I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. So, and I mean, if you, if you win at all costs, I mean, where's the integrity, where's the honor in that kind of sport? I, I, I always love, you know, when I want, I mean, like right now we have three of the, well, 
basically the three greatest tennis players ever to, to live or are playing right now. But what I like is that they all give kudos to one another and they all recognize the reason they're at the top of their game is because they have the top of the competition against them right now. They have to get better all the time. I mean, in golf, the reason all golfers got better was they realized, man, Tiger Woods, he's winning one out of every four tournaments he's entering and he's in the weight room and he's working harder than everybody else because of him, everybody started working harder. And what I love about golf is it's really emerging as a worldwide sport. It's kind of like what you're talking about with football, where I'm getting excited. It's no longer going to be just European and South American yeah. dominance. I mean, you're going to start seeing these Asian teams, uh, even America and the United States. It's fascinating to me. I'm like, oh, we're starting to get a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, it's, we're starting to take it seriously. Uh, so I, I get excited about that. And those African teams, I mean, oh, I, wow. if, if you get the proper coaches, I mean, think about what you can do with some of those African nations. Well, I watched um, the African Cup of Nations final last night, Senegal uh -huh. against Egypt, and um, just how that development has occurred over the last decade. It's uh -huh. tremendous. And again, it's another continent that is rife with difficulties, not that just a different kind of difficulties uh -huh. than yeah. in our world, but, you know, so beautiful in respect of how these people embrace the game and how much they improve. And it's amazing. And and they they have a style of play and, you know, it's amazing, Danny. And um, yeah, it's, it's kind of on a, on a, a similar part of the Asian journey, I think, um, but beautiful stuff. Um, so the next question then is, and brilliant that you've talked about that book, Captain Class. What about yeah. if you've got a young person, male, female, who's a player and, what what would you say to them as somebody who's you know listen let's let's face it you know you've achieved in your life whether you know whatever you you class as success um you know you're a you're a somebody to look up to um what would you say to them or what do you say to your own students well i i think that there's two things that you want all athletes to do you want them to make their mark but then they have to make their mark by mentoring the next the next generation um you know these young players I had read uh, American football coach Pete Carroll. I was fascinated. They had asked him what book was it that changed his life. And he said he had read a book called The Inner Game of Tennis, mm -hmm. which was all about psychology yeah. for athletes. And uh, I was a, a sociology and journalism major in college, and I wouldn't change a thing about that. But if I had it to do over again, I would have double majored in business and psychology because I don't care what you do in this lifetime. You're going to apply business and psychology to everything that you do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And especially athletes is, uh, you know, who it's there's a hor horrible uh, uh, film by ESPN here in the States uh, called, uh, I think it's called Broke, but it just shows the number of athletes that within three years of retiring are completely bankrupt. And so it's, to me, it's important to, you know, I was fascinated uh, when LeBron James, he, he's an amazing basketball player. He's just an amazing human. I mean, the, the guy grew up without a father, poor. The fact that he turned out as well as he did just fascinates me. And uh, when he signed one of his first contracts, one of the first people he consulted was Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett was fascinating. He's like, well, why did you consult me? He's like, because you know business. I want to I learn from the best. 
And so that's all these young athletes out there. You want to be the best. You learn from the best. And if you can't get mentored personally by those people, there's this great thing. It's called the public library or the yeah, bookstore. Yeah. And you can get mentored. You and I were talking about this, you know, Sir Alex, Alex Ferguson. I don't have to meet him to understand his wisdom because he put it in a book. Uh, the great coaches, the great athletes, they put it in books, read about these people. And it's fast. And then, it's you know, here I am preaching about nonfiction. But I mean, LeBron James, I could have kissed him before when he was in the NBA finals with the Miami Heat. They showed him before the game and he was sitting there reading The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins. And I could have kissed the guy. I'm like, you just did more for reading than I can ever accomplish because a bunch of kids just saw you doing that. And what he was doing is he was demonstrating modeling. Oh, when I'm tense, I read to, to put my mind at rest. And if you look at a lot of the greatest coaches in the world, they get a lot of their inspiration from fiction, reading fiction. Mm -hmm. They're like, huh, I wonder if I could apply that concept to my team. And that's fascinating to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think you've hit a real good point there as well. One thing, I personally struggled with is fiction because I used to think, oh, it's a bit of a waste of time. I need to get some value out of it until I, I managed to get rid of that judgment because actually it's not true, is it? It's just so wrong to have that kind of view. Yeah. So that's a big lesson, Danny. And I'm sure, you know, you, there's so much value in fiction that you you promote, um, Blamey, yeah? You, you've experienced yeah. that yourself, yeah? Absolutely. I mean, you know, again, I prefer nonfiction, but like, so... I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I mean, with I have three kids and a wife. And so each of them, I'm reading different things with them. And it's a great shared experience. And so my wife, she's into this. Uh, there's this great series called the, the Unselected Journals of Miss Emma Lyon by Beth Brower. And there's these cool little, it takes place in Britain and uh, in the 19th century. I mean, it's certainly not something I'm going to talk about with my mates at the pub, but it's something I can talk about with my wife and it helps me connect with her. And now I have a better idea of her mindset. You know, it's, it's helping yeah. me. In with, I, yeah. I, I'm constantly looking at people's mindset. Well, what is it that they're reading? Because the I, I, I preach this to the kids. I'm like, you are what you read. So read good stuff. If you're reading, I mean, when I'm doing my book club recommendations, it's very, I'll, I'll tell you this, Rob, it's very difficult finding positive things for young adults. I'm like, no wonder teenagers are screwed up. Most of the yeah. books are about date rape and suicide and dystopian society. They don't get enough of these books that I think you and I would have appreciated when we were growing up. Something about like this, I would have loved to have been assigned to have read about Sir Alex Ferguson when I was in high school. I would, I would have devoured that book. Even if I didn't like football as much, I would, I would, I would have been excited because I'm like, oh, this is a sports book. I'm interested in this. Uh, and then we're, we're, we're missing out. And so that's what uh, it's very, I, I tell parents is watch what your kids are feeding their minds. Uh, one of my mentors was Charlie Tremendous Jones. And he says, uh, you're the same today as you will be in five years. Tomorrow, yeah. thing. The people you meet, in the, people books you meet in the books you read. Yeah, yeah. So surround yourself with things that lift you up and get yourself in a positive mindset. I mean, any, any team, you know, that's what you do is uh, it, I always love the psychology is how do I get you believing that you're going to win? Absolutely. Absolutely. Danny, you've, um, I've just looked at the time and it's, and um, we've almost done an hour. You've, you've given like value at a hundred miles an hour from start to finish. Um, Listen, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, number two, 
I could spend another hour talking to you and then keep going and keep going um, and dive into and, and draw more, more information from you. Um, I've certainly feel like I've met a, a soulmate. If I can be as, as soppy as that and say, you know, I'm going to make sure I um, recommend your website. So if people want to um, find out about your work and want to connect more with you, um, just remind us of your, of your website uh, again, Danny. Or well, I appreciate any, any, that, Rob. Um, well, my website is dannybrussell.com, which is really easy to remember how to spell my last name. It's spelled like bras cell. No, I never took any grief. <laughs> Great. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. But what I'd love to do is to, as a thank you to you and your audience for, for bearing with me for this hour, if they go to freegiftfromdanny.com, again, freegiftfromdanny.com, I'm going to give everybody a complimentary e-copy of my book, Read, Lead and Succeed. It's a book I wrote for a school principal who was looking for a way to keep his faculty positively engaged. So I said, okay, I'll write you a book. So every, every week I give you a concept, an inspirational quote, an inspirational story, a book recommendation on a book you should read, but you're probably too lazy because you're an adult. So I also give you a children's picture book recommendation that demonstrates the same concept. You can read that in five minutes. And then I'm also going to give you access to, uh, I did a five-day reading challenge this summer for about 700 parents around the world, where every day for an hour, I'll give you all kinds of tips on how to get your kid to read more, read better, and love reading. Uh, and I, I hope that uh, I, I've served you and your audience. I mean, I, I completely concur with you. I, I was excited about this. Now I'm thrilled to be around you. I'm like, oh man, I need to, you and I just have to spend an hour sharing which, what we're reading. Yeah, I, got, yeah. I actually can't look at everything on your bookshelves, but I'm like, oh, I need to copy down notes. of. I'd like a photo of your bookshelves. <laughs> well, you're very, very welcome. And I'm humbled that you would even consider to, to borrow my library and, or whatever it is. But Danny, um, listen, um, I feel completely humbled. I feel like I've got a real soulmate and I'm absolutely loving what you are doing um i'm gonna put your show notes on with the podcast and um listen i feel like i'm cutting you short but i'm just aware of your time and um you know it's a bit of a taster of, of what you bring into the world so thank you ever so much danny and um you know it's been absolutely brilliant 